A lot of players in today's game have elevated their performance, and while it is two weeks into the regular season, you might be surprised with a few of today's stars that we're going to highlight in today's episode. So get your notebooks out because it's time to learn a little more about these studs and what makes them great. Episode 254 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get to our main topic, uh, Brett, we do have a couple of headlines that we wanted to point out, correct? Yes, we do. Uh, so the, we have three things to talk about. Uh, first thing is uh, Jim Rutherford uh, steps away as the Penguins GM. Um, this was, I mean... Kudos for him because he, you know, he had, he won those two straight uh, Stanley Cups in a row. But it seemed like after after that, like he kind of like he just started making like crazy trades, um, and left the team in disarray. Um, and now uh, the team basically has like the weakest farm system in the league, one of the weakest farm systems. I guess I can't really say for sure, definitely, but. Uh, one of the weakest uh, pen teams, but I guess it's all worth it if you have, um, if you have two cups like that. But so good for him. He cited that it was for personal reasons, but it is kind of shocking that uh, he did this right now. Um, I I was looking a bit at like potential GMs that could replace him, and a bunch of them are like just a bunch of retreads and stuff, and people who already have their shots, which makes no sense. Um, I would, uh, I would try, I think I heard that Chris Drury, um, I think he's like this, uh, I think he's the Sabres assistant general manager or he's, uh, he's assistant general manager somewhere. I'm not sure if it's the Sabres. You might have to double check or I'll check eventually. Um, I think then, uh, that could be an interesting move because he's made some good trades or I've heard that he's, he's a good guy around the, the place. Um, but like the one thing that I don't want to see is do not take Peter Shirelli. That guy should never have a job again as a general manager. So that's, that's the only one that I'm like, all right, don't do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would also put Jason Botterill in that category just based on his track record in Buffalo. Um, I don't know. I feel like, right I now. feel like Botterill does deserve at least a shot better than Shirelli does. I wouldn't put him in yeah, the category. Just I would yet. probably pick him before Shirelli, but yeah. still that track record, though. I mean, that yeah. Ryan O'Reilly trade, I don't, I don't think you'll be ever, uh, ever able to live that down. I mean, um, I don't know. Well, yeah. well, wait, 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 hold on. I I think I, I think part of the reason, and we talked about this when Botterill was fired, was he... Um, he, uh, like, he, he didn't like the long-term contracts that... Um, that Buffalo had sent him, and he was saying that that was a that was a big reason why he felt like the Sabers weren't as good as they should be because of those long term deals, and they're hard to move around. So I think he's I'm I'm willing to give him another shot because if you can give him like the benefit of the doubt to stop giving the long term deals, then I think he'll happen. Um, he'll be okay, and um, 
Yeah, and I, I think he's, like, learned through that. But, anyways, that's, that's like, a hypothetical yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah, um, there, there's also another name that, uh, that piqued my interest, uh, that name being Ron Hextel. And I know it would be very, very weird because, you know, right. Flyers versus Penguins always been on the Flyer side of things. But if there's one thing Ron Hextel knows somewhat about it's drafting and drafted guys like nolan patrick ivan mm-hmm. Provorov, travis konechny a lot of the young flyers players that you see were drafted under the ron hextall regime so i feel like a team that kind of like i don't know needs to keep their first round picks and draft good talent and build for the future he'd be good mm-hmm. at that uh, the trading aspect is a 50 50 but i can definitely see him um being a potential solution there um if the bridge hasn't been burned because they turfed him to get jim rutherford maybe ray shero come back possibility maybe i don't know funny. he's still kind of out there it won't be john shaka we know that because right. the nhl kind of says hey, you can't hire him the rest of this year yeah. at least um but but yeah there are some uh, notable options there and and jim rutherford is going to be 72 later this month in february so like he's up there in age he has a family he wants to spend more time with him that's totally fine you are right about the timing though because like the penguins already are banged up with injuries malkin is struggling the goaltending has been inconsistent a lot of the games they've been in are one goal games being decided and forced into overtime and stuff like this and they're kind of like middle of the pack right now and and a lot of people are just thinking after making all of those offseason changes to restructure the coaching staff six or seven games in and 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 now you decide to bail at again you know if it's for personal reasons totally understandable but it, it kind of makes you think in the back of your mind is there other factors at play here yeah. and yeah i've I, I think that's something we'll we'll discuss when they find their new guy. But uh, whoever inherits this Penguins team, they're going to have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, well, the good news is that you have Crosby, you have Malkin. Uh, they did just win this, like, they did just win their game, uh, thanks to Crosby's OT winner uh, last night. This is recorded on Sunday, by the way. <laughs> um, so so they have, like, they have some things going with it. If, like, it's like... You still have Crosby and stuff, but yeah, you're right. Like, because of all the other moves that they've made, it doesn't seem like like their defense is horrid right now um, and has no signs of getting better. Supposedly, uh, now this has been reported as false, but it's like a speculation at this point, but I feel like it's worth at least talking about, is that uh, Chris, like, reportedly that Rutherford was working on a trade to get rid of uh, um, Chris Letang, and then um, this was like reported from like some radio jock uh, in Pittsburgh. So maybe he was just trying to garner. Yeah, that some, that yeah. radio jock in question, by the way, is Colin Dunlap. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, then the Pittsburgh beat reporter for from the Athletic, uh, Michael Russo, uh, said that. No, this uh, is Ro- Rob Rossi, I oh, believe, sorry, is Rob the Rossi. guy you're thinking about. Ro- uh, Michael Russo is uh, Minnesota beat writer for the. Got Athletic. it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I got those guys confused. Um, anyways, <laughs> that guy said that, um, that that's not true. And in fact, like Mario was, um, who's like the owner of the team and, you know, is the, the big boss in charge 
was um, was not impressed, uh, or was not not impressed. He was surprised apparently that um, that Rutherford decided to do that, like everyone else was. So um, so I think that yeah, they have a they have a choice to make, but I think in terms of like actual things to get done it's they do have a lot of work to do because their defense they don't have like a great farm system so it's Mm -hmm. it's not uh it's not in the best shape even though they still do have like two of the best players in the league with Crosby and Malkin but um yeah and And there's there's also a a very important uh, thing that um that uh, the ownership did mention they're in still they still are in win now mode yep they're not prepared to accept the fact that they're rebuilding they still want to win right now and i think part of the gm search is going to be finding guys that are more focused on the win now mentality yeah i had to guess yeah i guess that's good by the way chris jury is uh, the new york rangers assistant general manager um and yeah so i i guess that like kind of takes to the point of like just good scouting and and being able to like call up guys and stuff so he might deserve a shot but maybe it's not penguins if they are truly in win now mode but it might be a an interesting uh general manager who hasn't had a shot just yet yeah maybe chris jury is a guy that could fit well with seattle scouting department yeah you know they're for a young expansion team that i think basically they're their big foot in the door is scouting players. Um, I mm. think Chris Drake could fit that mold pretty nicely. Yeah, that's a good go thought. Ahead. Don't I thought Seattle already has their general manager, doesn't it? Yeah, no, but I mean, oh. like a guy that they could fit into that front office. Ron Francis is their GM. Right, right, right. The more the more minds the more hockey minds, the merrier, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess I just don't know if you would do a, like a lateral move like that. <laughs> I feel like you yeah, would, true. Yeah, I feel like you would want to do uh, general manager. Also, I, I think like for most of his life, he he's only played on like East Coast teams, and I think that's like True. an intentional thing. So I don't know if he would necessarily move to the West Coast. Um, oh, I guess he went to Calgary and Colorado, so maybe not. Um, yeah. But for the most part, you're right. East for the Coast most part, teams, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways. Um. So okay. So now let's go to our next topic here before we get to the main topic. Um. Kevin Fiala, he gets uh, three games for his hit on Matt Roy. I think it, I, I might yeah, be Matt Roy, uh, Kings defenseman Matt Roy, <laughs> uh, three games forfeits uh, over seventy-seven thousand dollars in salary. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy too because this is his first offense. But when you look mm-hmm. at the play again, it's like Matt Roy's like head like bobbles all the way to the boards, and it's it's not a it's not a good sight so it was definitely earned or definitely the right call I was kind of surprised just because it's the first offense that he got three games because I was thinking like they just give him a slap on the wrist but um, it does show show how bad that hit was that that they decided to do that and, and give him three games. Yeah, honestly, one of the few times in recent memory where player safety's got it right on the button. I yeah. mean, it um, for a guy that's never suspended, like this is the the type of play that if you want to really send a message, three games is just the right number. I wouldn't have gone above five games, especially in a shortened season, unless it was like really severe. And I don't think it was in that realm. But if you look at the play, they're racing for the puck. Fiala enters the king zone. 
Roy is trying to get the puck in, uh, in an attempt to clear it from his own end. The puck is going away from Roy because Fiala is steering him away just a little bit. And Roy's numbers are right in front of his face pretty much for a solid one or two seconds. And he could have laid off the check and mm. he just finishes it. And in goes Roy into the boards, not a safe play. The top type of play that doesn't belong in the game, you need to get out of the game. And I think the length was just right. So um, kudos to player safety there. They got it. Right. Yeah, I think it was the right call. Um, and then lastly, this is a developing story right now because it literally just happened. I mentioned that we are recording this on Sunday, so um, so I'm sure we'll see what happens tomorrow. But uh, Tony D'Angelo just got put on waivers. Um, I guess this was kind of like a big thing because... Well, first off, last year, Tony D'Angelo was a huge uh, reason why the Rangers were were a surprise um, in the Eastern Conference last year uh, because he was, like, on the power play. He was a big offensive defenseman. However, like, you know, he he's big, um, not to get into politics again, but he's, he's a big uh, Trump supporter, and he was, um, he's kind of... Uh, and he still is continuing to be that way. Like he left Twitter because Trump just got deleted, and he and then he supposedly has a burner account that he has on, um, and he just like it retaliates against fans and all that stuff. So, so he is a talented player, but he's also like a head case um, and crazy. And I do find it fitting that the re- like a, another reason why. Uh, Rangers decided to do this is because he, because um, K. Andre Miller, who's a black hockey player, basically t- took over his role. So it's it's nice that like uh, a black player can take over a white supremacist, basically. So I'm glad with that. Um, and and K. Andre Miller is a gr- uh, is a great guy. I'm I'm yeah. sure. And and he's he's that that's the one thing the Rangers didn't have that they had this year is yeah. K. Andre Miller, and he looks right at home. Like. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of young defensemen that have impressed, and we'll talk about one of them in the Hot Streaks podcast. But, you know, you talk about Alexander Romanov in Montreal and Keandre Miller in the Rangers, yeah. and already in their short time, they made a positive impact on their team. And I think it's easier for the Rangers to make this decision where, A, a guy is playing them, and B, when your team is not winning games and you need to put out the best lineup, if D'Angelo isn't really doing you too many favors and yeah. the turnover rates uh, probably aren't helping him either. Yeah, they um, you, you, you need the best lineup possible to give your team the best possible chance to win. And if Miller is doing a better job than D'Angelo, doesn't matter. The salary doesn't matter. The term, if they think you're worthy of sitting out, they're going to do it. Right. Yeah. I think like the whole, the whole rap on, D'Angelo is that he's very good offensively, but he's he's terrible defensively. So it's it's almost not even worth it. He's that bad defensively. Um, like yeah. there was a few times, even in the season, where he just gets like steamrolled by all the forwards in there, and that's not something you want to do for a defense. Even as an offensive defenseman, I understand that, but you still want your offensive defenseman to at least play some defense. Um, so, so there's that, and and also there's all this off ice stuff too that I'm sure isn't helping his cause. Um, I have a feeling though that I think some a team will take him on. 
um, even despite all those distractions and stuff. But um, I guess I also wouldn't be surprised if he just stays in the AHL for forever. Um, he's like, I don't know. He's just um, like I. I feel like I'd have more sympathy for him if he decided to like like be like if he said like you know this really changed me and stuff and hopefully that does happen but um but I don't think he's um I don't think he's going to do that especially since his burner count uh supposedly it's it's might be him it might not be him but they, he called this this news cancel culture which I find kind of funny cuz that's not really cancel culture it's like if you played better you wouldn't be canceled quote unquote yeah, it's it's called shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, uh, I I hope for the sake of whoever needs a good defenseman, um, I I kind of hope they don't claim him for their sake yeah. and for his sake. I mean this, th- this is the best way to like get a wake up call is, yeah. you know, get making a lot of money and just sitting on the sidelines while your team plays on without you. Right. hopefully that wises them up um speaking of getting older and wiser wayne gretzky 60 years old and i got a mammoth wayne gretzky stat before we get to the main topic well i I just wanted to Um, throw out one team that i think might claim him uh okay go ahead the pittsburgh penguins i think they because they're all there but it's only because of necessity because they're um like they all their defensemen are depleted so they kind of have no choice but to take Tony Giangelo of course like what the Penguins need is more deep shut down defenseman which is not Tony D'Angelo but I think they're that desperate for a defenseman that I think they they might pull the trigger and who knows with this new interim head a GM what what's going to happen with him so um so I I think I think the Penguins might do it it, it depends. It depends on cap space, of course, but yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me with the Penguins because Mario's a pretty good guy and he's not shy to give people second mm-hmm. chances. So, yeah, yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, yeah, so the mammoth Wayne Gretzky stat: why is he called a great one, and why he's been called a great one since he was like eight, nine, ten years, whatever? Um, I looked at his Adam Hockey stats, which is when you're like eight, nine, or ten years old. Long before, long uh, before you become a teenager, and it's the level after novice. To put that into perspective for all you Canadian fans out there, um, this this is what he did in three years of Adam hockey. So year one, four goals, sixty three helpers, for one hundred and sixty seven points in just sixty two games. Pretty crazy. Year two. 196 goals, 120 assists, 316 points in 76 games. No way he tops that, right? Year three, 85 games, 378 goals, 139 assists for a total of 517 points. That is why he is the great one. Yeah. And that was like when he was eight years old too. So that's crazy. I feel like you could do like uh, an entire show on crazy yeah. Wayne Gretzky stats. Um, my favorite one is the uh, one that like when fantasy hockey was just starting out in the 1980s, you had to be, it would be so unfair to teams if you had Wayne Gretzky that some leagues would yeah. 
count Wayne Gretzky's goals and Wayne Gretzky's assists. Like they had to separate that out. Um, that's <laughs> it would be so unfair to just have Wayne Gretzky on your team. So that I find yeah. that the yeah, just like every Wayne Gretzky goal is worth half a point. Yeah, yeah. And the rest are just the full point. Yeah. Or I I like the fact of like if you took away any of Wayne Gretzky's goal, all of Wayne Gretzky's goals in the NHL. He'd still yep. be the leading point getter yep. in the league. Uh-huh. That's yep. that's the most absurd one as well. Yeah, so. yeah um, we could go on yeah. all day about like exactly. what means what makes him so great. But like like Crosby and McKinnon and McDavid, they probably got like a lot of hate from like parents. But like and th- think about probably like how many times the coach kept Gretzky on the bench just so like his team didn't continue to embarrass the other team, and he still did that. Like yeah. that's just bonkers. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, so so like uh, the lead-in has mentioned, we have about five players that are on a lot uh, large hot streaks, and we feel like they they deserve some attention to to talk about. Uh, so the first one on our list is Nick Suzuki. Um, so yeah, he has a uh, he has in eight games he has two goals and five assists. Um, and he's been like the de facto, uh, first line center that Montreal has finally gotten. Um, he was involved in that trade, uh, for Max, from, for Max Pacioretty in Vegas, um, a couple of years ago, but, um, it's like, this feels like a very good, um, like, I don't think the Canadians expected, him to be this good when they got him like they probably expected him to be like a you know a, a top six type forward um and they wanted that you know they were having trouble with centers in the first place but um but yeah they probably didn't expect this to happen with Nick Suzuki and it's a big reason why the Canadians are the first in the first place in the Canadian division or the North division um the Socha Bank North division um, yeah, and his, like, face-off wins are, he has 52 face-off wins. I guess he also has, like, 71 face-off losses, so he's not there from from that standpoint. But I remember when we, um, it was actually interesting, I remember when we, uh, we were doing the Montreal Canadiens prospect thing, uh, when we, when we had that series going on, and I would, uh, you know, I was mentioning how, like, they need centers and like that's a big that's been a big thing for Montreal is just getting in the center. I didn't even mention Nick Suzuki and then I get like after that episode was out, I get this uh message from one of my uh members from my league and he says like I listened to that episode and I just kept on waiting for you to mention Nick Suzuki and you never did. And I was just like, Oh, I yeah, I, I just didn't realize that for some reason. And we we completely disregarded Nick Suzuki. Even you forgot to mention Nick Suzuki. <laughs> See, I Nick Suzuki was on my radar, but the thing is, his rookie season was so good. I'm just like, is he even a prospect? Like yeah. he's part of their present, which yeah. is part of the reason why debatable. I didn't really sure. talk about him because he, he played that good as a, as a rookie. He fit yeah. right in. Although, yeah, that, that is a good point. Yeah, he he does he doesn't seem like the the prototypical rookie. Although I guess to our point, I think we did include Jack Hughes. Um, although I guess that was after Montreal. I think we also included Capo Caco too. So, like we we counted some players who were already in the league, 
as as prospects, so he would have counted because we counted guys like Jack Hughes in. Um, but but yeah, so we we kind of we dropped the ball on that. But anyways, uh, last year, like like uh, Steve was mentioning, he had a very impressive rookie year too. Uh, he had forty one points in seventy one games. Thirteen of those points were goals. Um, and then I guess this time he had. <clears throat> He had uh, he had two more minutes of ice time, and this is what you get. It's kind of interesting between because like Claude, knowing Claude Julian is he's notorious for not playing a a bunch of the rookies, but um, like he just tries to like not force them into the league and all that stuff. But it appears that he did this for Nick Suzuki, or that just shows how much. He loves Nick Suzuki is that even though he is young, he's able to play on a top line um, like that. And and I think it's a big reason why the Montreal Canadiens are doing so well right now is not just because they have Tyler Toffoli who's killing it, not just because they have Josh Anderson who's also killing it. Um, but I think it's, it's because of like the emergence of Nick Suzuki. It's like he hadn't arrived last year. He's definitely arrived right now. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about why Nick Suzuki's been so hot, I guess. Oh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll talk about if he can sustain it afterwards. But, yeah, what, do you have anything else to add on, on Nick Suzuki? I have plenty to add. Yeah. Um, so, taking a look at his numbers, uh, seven points in eight games, two goals, five assists, 18 shots on goal. Both of his goals, oddly enough, opened the scoring. They were icebreakers, first goal of the game. So, talk about timely scoring. Um, he has four takeaways, two giveaways, so that's a pretty good ratio. Um, drawn three penalties, taken four, not bad. You mentioned the fact that his face-off percentage hasn't been very good. It's 42.3%. Again, second year in the league. But you look at, um, at what he's been able to do in terms of like even strength, power play, and shorthanded face-offs. It's kind of been relatively consistent, 42.5%, I believe, at even strength, 42.3% on the power play, and 40% uh, when shorthanded. So, like, 42.3% not impressive overall, but when you look at the how it spreads out, it's relatively consistent. And if you take a look at his win rates, he's actually won 46.2% of his defensive faceoffs, which might not sound that bad but you look at philip Deneau, who has been uh getting uh selkie votes recently um it's almost around the same uh face-off win percent just denotes in the defensive zone so that's that's pretty good um his total ice time uh is 142 minutes 37 seconds through his first eight games that leads all montreal forwards um he's actually 31st in the league with 123 face-offs taken um, in terms of power play ice time, he has six minutes and eight seconds on record, which is amongst NHL forwards 71st, and he's nearing a, a point-per-game pace, averaging 17.50 um, ice time per game. So right now, if this was a full 82-game season, everything was normal, he played all the games, he would be on a 72-point pace. And as a rookie, he was averaging 15.59 per night, that's gone up by 151 so far this year. Um, he's on pace for roughly 185 shots in a full 82 games. That would be an improvement of nearly 47 shots. 
Uh, his shooting percentage has gone up a bit, which is good. And and even still, like Nick Suzuki would be a primary assist guy. He's just hitting 20 goals at this rate, but he'd be around like 40 to 50 assists. And what you're looking for in a number one center is a reliable guy that can set people up for goals. And people forget that uh, Cole Caulfield knows how to score goals, and he's not on the team yet. But imagine in a Nick Suzuki setting up Caulfield for one-timers. Like, that could be in two, three, maybe four years, a lethal combo consistently in the league. And I think it's a big step when you see him pull off that season-opening goal against Toronto where he just banks it off from an obscure angle and it goes in. Like, that just kind of shows you what kind of confidence he's playing with. For a second-year player, that's absolutely huge for Montreal. Um, And you look at his um, game-by-game results, prior to um, the 2-0 loss against Calgary, he had a point in all seven of his games. So he started the season on a seven-game point streak, and at times, he looked dominant. And it's it's going to be tough for Nick Suzuki to kind of sustain this momentum, which we'll get to um, in a little bit. But when you take a look at the eye test, the first seven or eight games, he's been just as, as advertised. And I mentioned in the season preview with the Habs, if Nick Suzuki elevates his game, takes his game to another level, Montreal could be a real big threat in this North division. And so far they have been there, I think. Yeah. Five, one, and two, or something like that, in their first eight games. That's pretty good. Yeah, he's definitely been. A, as I mentioned, he's been a big reason why uh, the Canadians are on top of the North Division right now. I don't know what to call it. I feel like I should call it the Canadian Division, even though it's officially the North. Yeah, Division. same. Um, I'm going to call it the Canadian Division, but yeah, because uh, it's more accurate. Like it's yeah, all Canadian teams. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know how sustainable it is, but it does. You know, when you look at his stats and you look at his career so far, you're like, well, I mean, this is a good thing. He, he has, he definitely has the potential, and he's giving all the opportunity for for sure. So I think it does seem like he's going to be the real deal and all that stuff. So, so maybe maybe he'll he'll be the guy, but we'll see on that. And I remember, um, you know, back when. Um, PLD was on the trading block. Um, there was like reports that you know Montreal was interested, and supposedly uh, Columbus had asked for Nick Suzuki, and that's what ended the deal straight away. So that just shows how much Montreal believes in this kid, and they're not like, and they definitely believe that he's going to be uh, sustain this as well. But um, it is interesting that even though he was a 13th overall pick. Um, like I wonder if the if the Golden Knights want that trade back. Although Max Pacioretty has been pretty good for the for the team, so I don't know. It's, it might be one of those trades that are good for both sides. Um, yeah, yeah, I think both both sides get what they wanted here. Yeah. And in terms of whether or not he can sustain it, I mean, it all depends on how that offense yeah. is. Tra- because you look at someone like Brendan Gallagher, that's like in the top 10 for shots on goal. And Josh Anderson has looked pretty good. Toffoli, as you mentioned, yeah. has been pretty good. Jeff Petrie has been racking up points on the back end. Alex Romanov looks so comfortable at such a young age. So I don't know if he could get like 70-plus points this year. But... 
I think you're going to see this as the start of the new norm for Nick Suzuki, and he can be that good moving forward. Yeah, and also, like, Vegas eventually will, will need... I mean, they do have... They need center help now, but I think eventually, when uh, Pacioretty does eventually retire, they'll probably be like, okay, we, sh- we could have had Nick Suzuki. So they might end up regretting it just because... If Nick Suzuki has a long career like he might have, then they'll do that. Speaking of uh, PLD, uh, we're going to talk about his new team now, or a player on his new team now. Uh, Andrew Kopp um, has been pretty good in in the place of both, I mean, I guess in absence of Patrick Laine and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, in the... Eight games uh, that Winnipeg has played so far, Andrew Kopp had uh, has four goals and five assists, um, so that's nine points in eight games, including a game against Edmonton uh, two uh, a couple of days ago, uh, where he had two goals and two assists. Um, and every now and then he'd have like one assist. He'd have two goals um, against Ottawa um, in the second game of the year, he'd have one assist against Ottawa in the first game of the year, or, you know, five, a couple of games ago, too, so I'm, I'm taking a look at his last five games here, <laughs> and so, yeah, he's on, a, he's on an intense, uh, uh, what, what am I talking about, he's on an intense point streak now, I think he's, he's scored a point, oh yeah, he has scored a point in, Almost in uh, five games, five games, but then he stopped scoring the last two games. So, um, yeah, wait, I, I don't think I'm looking at this chart correctly. Wait a second. No, okay, he didn't score the last game, but he was on a uh, five-game point streak uh, before, before that mark. Um, I think the interesting thing about Andrew Kopp is that this is his uh, seventh year in the league. I guess sixth year because the first year was he only played one game. But uh, this is the seventh year in the league, and he's never been on this toward pace before. So, like, unlike Nick Suzuki, where Nick Suzuki's career just started, basically, uh, whereas for Andrew Kopp, it's like he's in the seventh year of the league. He's 26 right now. It's It feels like this might not be his breakout year, especially when we don't know how he's going to mesh with Pierre-Luc Dubois or how the lines are going to go with without those guys. So I think that's like the big marker that we're not sure what's going to happen with Andrew Kopp once Pierre-Luc Dubois is back in the system. But... It's looking pretty good so far, obviously, but um, yeah, I think I think it could be sustainable, but it's also just so up in the air right now, knowing that Pierre Luc Dubois is going to join in a, in the next week or so. So, so yeah, that's that's going to be the bigger news story and something to to keep track of for sure. Yeah, the, th- the this is an interesting case. Because Nick Suzuki, the guy we just talked about, in his rookie season had six goals and 14 points on the power play. Already with a goal and four points of the extra man this year. Andrew Kopp has two power play goals and that's it. That's all he's done in his career on the power play. So 
he, he doesn't have that kind of experience, but I have a feeling that's going to change, honestly, because, really? yeah, in his previous seasons, um, it, it it hasn't been really that great, but he hasn't really been given the opportunities to really excel yeah. consistently. Uh, if you take a look at his offensive stats, in the past three seasons, he's been a guy that will get you around 25 to 30 points, maybe in an A2 game pace, it'll be around you know, around 30 to 35 points at most. He got over 100 shots last His ice time was, I think, over 17 minutes per game. In the previous seasons, I don't think it even hit 14 minutes per game or 15 minutes. So, again, it all comes back to opportunities. Now, the season prior, 2019-2020, he would sometimes play on the same line as the likes of Kyle Connor and Patrick Line, sometimes he would center that line. Other times you have guys like uh, Adam Lowry centering the line and he would play on the wing. Sometimes he would play with guys like Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. But the consistency factor wasn't there in terms of in terms of line mates, in terms of getting his groove on. And um like I said, obviously ice time was was a big factor in some of those previous years. But 10 goals and 16 assists for 26 points in 63 games, that's not bad. That's a 34-point pace. Um, and now you take a look at his ice time this year. He Right now he's averaging 18.40 per game. That's 58 seconds more than uh, last year. And it's, it's easy to look at as to why he's been this good when you take a look at the line mates he's played with. Right. So just to refresher what he's done this year, he has four goals, five assists, nine points in eight games with 29 shots on goal. Uh, he's taken two penalties. He's also drawn two penalties, three takeaways, three giveaways. Not bad. Uh, you look at his power play ice time. He's played 17, 15 so far with the extra man, even more, when his team has been shorthanded, he has 21 minutes, 23 seconds of shorthanded ice time. So he's kind of a two-way forward in that sense. And um, he's averaged, uh, he's played in almost 150 minutes exactly overall this season. Now, if he played a full 82 games, you look at his shots on goal, he would have 297 shots, yeah. which is a far cry from like 120, 130, whatever he got last year. So that's pretty glaring. He would be on pace for 41 goals and 92 points if this was a normal 82-game campaign. Um, and again, part of the reason why he's getting more power play minutes, he's getting more top six minutes. Prior to this year, he was a third or fourth line player for the most part. Yeah. Um, but he's been playing a lot of time on the wing, and he has played most of that time on a line with Paul Stastny down the middle and Nikolai Ehlers as the right wing guy. Yeah. And that was mostly the line that Patrick Liney was playing on in 2018 when Stastny came to town and they went on that lengthy playoff run as well. And it seems that Paul Stastny and Andrew Kopp have quite the chemistry going. So I think if you put Andrew Kopp in the right situation, he is going to thrive. And you take a look at his spike um, defensively, in his first four games, he had a com uh, in his first three games rather he had a combined one assist and four shots on goal. So it was around that time where Patrick Laine goes down with an injury. Then he gets that game against Ottawa, game four, where he has five shots on goal over 21 minutes of ice time. He had 21 minutes in his third game as well, 
And then he has the two-goal game against Ottawa where he has seven shots. And then he has one assist against Edmonton. He has three shots in that one. Two goals, two assists, and a comeback win against uh, the Oilers with six shots. That uh, was uh, game seven of the year. And even that game where his point streak ends against Vancouver, he still had four shots and played over 21 minutes of hockey in a game that didn't go past regulation. So the fact that he is getting a lot of this exposure on the line with Paul Stastny and Nikolai Ehlers definitely helps his confidence. As you mentioned, Brett, the big question is, where are you going to slot in Andrew Kopp when Pierre-Luc Dubois yeah. arrives? Are you going to put Paul Stastny on the wing? Are you going to keep Andrew Kopp on the wing? Are you going to bring him back down and center like the third or the fourth line? I think Andrew Kopp is a guy that can really complement a line as a winger. I don't mm-hmm. know if he's a guy that can hold the line together as the face-off man. And yeah. I think that's going to be an interesting situation and an interesting decision for the Jets to make when Pierre-Luc Dubois does arrive, is where is Andrew Kopp best suited on this team? And in the middle of a contract year, if he continues this type of elevation, he could be asking for some serious coin when uh, he's due for um, – a new contract in the offseason. So that's also another thing to keep in mind. It's a big year for Andrew Kopp personally because he's he's going to be looking for, for big dollars. And if he plays like this, he's definitely going to get a from across the league. Yeah, I guess you do, you do bring up a good point that a big reason why he's able to do so well right now is because he's, he's taken over Patrick Laine's spot on on Winnipeg right now on that second line and some power play time as well. So I think that's a big reason why he's been doing so well. Um, but um, so like when Pierre-Luc Dubois comes in, you know, I feel like Stasny's role will probably change and he might be, the Stasny might be a third line center, but I think Andrew Kopp is, could just end up being the winger to replace Patrick Kleine. In fact, we talked about that last week about, like, well, what are the Jets going to do without um, without Patrick Laine? Because now they have to worry about finding a winger uh, for Pierre-Luc Dubois on the second line now. And Andrew Kopp might just be able to fit that role now. I'm not saying that I don't think... I think uh, Patrick Laine is obviously better than, than uh, uh, Andrew Kopp is. But um, it's not, like, a bad bad way of going about things of being like okay uh he's been decent at least and um and something that they can they can hold on to so that i guess that's like the one positive i'm still kind of skeptical of the fact that like this guy's been in the league for a little while now and i feel like they may not be able to sustain it because of that but i guess it's also like as you mentioned they're giving him a lot of ice time now Mostly out of necessity because Patrick Laine, even went before the trade, he was injured. So they just been giving Andrew Kopp more minutes, and and he was able to to uh, to make make do from there. So um, yeah, uh, that that could definitely happen. Um, <clears throat> our next guy here, I guess we're we're talking about a bunch of Canadian guys. I think this is unintentional, but we, I guess maybe I think. In general, it feels like most of the Canadian teams have been, like, it's a lot of high-scoring games, and I think it's, for the most part, it's because all the Canadian teams have a lot of forwards, or very good forwards, 
and not so good defensemen um, who can shut down. So, and it, it leads to a, like a lot of high scoring games and stuff. Other than I guess Calgary and Montreal, it's, it feels like every other team is is going to like have some defensive laps in their in any any of their games. But anyways, we'll talk about uh, Vancouver right now because we're talking about Bo Horvat, um, who's been he's kind of slowed down recently, but he does still have eleven points in eleven games. Um. And I, I guess the a big reason why he's kind of slowed down is because Vancouver isn't doing so well defensively. Um, it's you know it's it's more like uh, maybe they like yeah they do have guys like Edler and they do have uh, uh, Quinn Hughes, but like like they still have like Tyler Myers in their system. They still have. Um, uh, 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 yeah, Quinn Hughes, who's not great defensively either. Um, and, like, you know, maybe uh, uh, they do They do now have, uh, what's-his-face, Nate Schmidt on on the team, but it's not that, um, you know, Nate Schmidt hasn't been, you know, that great, I guess, uh, for them. So it's they're, they're struggling defensively. Anyways, Bill Horvat. Uh, 11 points, 11 games, um, so he's still at a point per game, so that just shows that even though they're just struggling defensively, they're still doing really, really well, um, including um, Bo Horvat, who, he had, uh, there was a stretch where he had two goals in two games, uh, two goals um, back-to-back, so he had four goals in two games. Um, and then, you know, and then he keeps on, keeps on racking assists and things of that nature too. So he's, he's been hot in more ways than one. I feel like, uh, for Bo Horvat, it kind of, like there was the emergence of Elias Pettersson, um, and his point totals kind of, uh, downgraded for a bit. But then ever since then, he's kind of been like a decent, like 50 or 60 point guy, um, he's never been like this good where he's a point per, per game player, but, um, I, I would expect that I think a lot of this will have to do with like how, um, how sustainable like the Vancouver Canucks are. Cause like if your defense is doing very, very poorly, then it's not going to, you know, help your offense at all. Uh, because then everything starts to fall apart. So I think that's what what's going to be the biggest factor in this. Um, so I, I don't think he'll s- still be a point-per-game player, but I do think that he'll still be like a decent um, player overall. Um, like he's not going to be, like he's not going to um, like be, like go on cold streaks is what I'm saying. I think he'll still be, uh, pretty good, even though he's on a hot streak right now. Eric, talk about hot streaks. Um, it's interesting how most of his points have come in bunches. He has yeah. uh, two points in the opener against Edmonton. That was a big win for Vancouver. Doesn't even – well, he almost plays 16 minutes. He played 15-57 that game, um, and he had four shots. The next night, no goals, no points, but he gets six shots on goal. 
Then he's ice cold, just two shots, no points in two games against Calgary. And then is able to get a point in every single game against the Habs. Uh, with a pair of two gold Knights, he finishes with six points in three games. And he has a combined eight shots. But the Canucks um, lose two of those three games. And it's funny how playing the Ottawa Senators will revitalize your season. Um, although for Bo, for Bo Horvat, he had two assists in the opener against the Sens in 14.58 ice time with no shots. And in the past three games, he's only had one assist and a combined three shots. And part of the reason behind that is because JT Elias Peterson, who struggled early on, they're starting to find their groove back. They have Brock Besser, who has... I think four multi-goal gains, eight goals on the year, which is among the league leaders. So similar with the Habs and their offensive uh, talent, they have a lot of top six worthy forwards and one puck on the ice. Um, Bo Horvat isn't really going to get the offensive numbers more often than not. You will see times where he goes on a four-game point streak and then he gets a three-pointless streak. Um, it, it all depends on how the offense flows in Vancouver. But overall, uh, Bo Horvat is the type of guy that wins face-offs consistently. He's been over 53% successful in, I think, three straight years. Um, he was around 56 57% successful last year. Right now, he's 56.9% successful in all situations. He's uh, actually taken 225 face-offs, which leads the league. He has more face-offs taken than Sidney Crosby, who is second. He's top 10 in league scoring, top 20 in goal scoring. And just across the board, like I said, been very consistent at winning draws. He's um, fourth in terms of total ice time for centers. He's already logged over 200 minutes of ice time. In terms of NHL forwards, as of January 30th, he's sixth in power play ice time with 51 minutes and 16 seconds. And Vancouver, as we talked about numerous times last year, how lethal their power play was and how lethal it can be this year. And he's going to be a big piece for that. So right now, can he stay on the track where he gets like 37 goals in a full 82 game season? I'm not quite sure. His career high is 27, but he's a four time 20 goal scorer. So nearing like 30, goals in a season he can definitely do that his shooting percentage right now is 21.7 percent his previous career high is 13.9 percent i think it could definitely be around 17 to 18 percent i don't know if it will stick around 20 um and the matter is um right now he's at he would be averaging 171 shots in a normal campaign in the year before that in in the year before last year and last year um, trajectory this year wouldn't be enough to match those trajectories the past two years. So it's, it's interesting how even though he hasn't been getting the shots on goal, he's still scoring as good as he was in previous years, if not better. So the fact that he, He's able to take advantage of fewer scoring chances this year is definitely a positive sign for Vancouver. And if he keeps things rolling, um, he isn't just a top line center for them. He could be a consistent 30 goal scorer. So I definitely think in some shape or form, Bo Horvat can be this good. Um, but how good Bo Horvat can be 
of course, similar to Montreal and Winnipeg, depends on how the top six shapes out and who he plays with. I mean, do you think that, like, the defense has any part to it, too? I feel like that's a big issue, too. I feel like this season in particular, we see how bad Vancouver's defense has been. And we saw it in the bubble, too, of, like, that was a big reason why Canucks didn't go even further than they did was they didn't really address that their defense has struggled so much. See, the thing about Vancouver is... In previous occasions last year, their goaltending bailed them out in a lot of situations. Yeah. Like Jacob Marstrom was playing out of his mind. Thatcher Demko in the Vegas series was playing out of his mind. Their goaltending between Holpe and Demko in the first five or six games was average. Good, but not good enough. And there weren't any big saves that really turned things around. And in the Ottawa series, Thatcher Demko... He gets um, two games in, only gives up two goals in those two games. And again, it's Ottawa, but I think really helped his confidence. And the Canucks were outshot um, marginally or heavily in big parts of that game and in both of those games. And Demko was the reason why the Canucks were able to hold the fort. Uh, they were actually, I think they were outshot in the finale against Ottawa, which they also won and Holby had to come up big as well. So I think their goaltending has come around. And last night was probably the best game that Vancouver had played Saturday night against Winnipeg, where they get outshot. I think it was like 13 to eight in the first period. But from the start of the second period, they outshot the Jets 31 to 11 and played arguably their best game top to bottom of the regular season to date. So I think their defense isn't really, I I think their defense was kind of ordinary last year, just as it is this year. Travis Hamnick has been hurt, so that doesn't help them. Um, But in terms of their defense as a whole, it was, it was just as ordinary as it was last year. The only difference is their goaltending last year was able to make up for that more often than not. And this year at times early on in the year, it couldn't. Right. But now that their goaltending appears to be back, their defense looks better. So yeah, I guess a little bit. The defense part of the game is definitely a work in progress. I mean, you you are right about that. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's also, like, I thought Braden Holpe was going to, like, have a resurgence uh, when he came to Vancouver, but it turns out that that's not the case. Like, he has a sub-900 save percentage, um, and I think this was, like, showing... And then you see how good Markstrom's been in Calgary. You're like, okay, maybe... Maybe they shouldn't have uh, let Markstrom go. But at the same time, like, Demko's been decent, at least. Um, so so there's that to, to cry on, or cry on, <laughs> uh, to put your shoulder on, I guess, is the phrase. I don't know what the phrase is I'm going for, but... <laughs> Lean on, but Lean yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. I don't even know if that makes sense either. Um, anyways... <laughs> um, Shows how, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, so I think like it is good that they have someone like Demko on the squad, but I, I'm sure they're definitely um, wishing that they have Markstrom instead of Holtby um, right now. 
Um, the the other thing with yeah. Vancouver that I think they were also missing in the first five or six games is the leadership that Markstrom and Tana provided. Apparently, mm-hmm. if Pearson was struggling, he would go to Markstrom. If Quinn Hughes was struggling, he went to Chris Tanev. Both guys aren't on the team anymore, so right. they're they're kind of like trying to kind of like mature as a group and like lean on each other a little bit more. And I think now that they have this four game winning streak going and they 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 seem to play better. Hopefully, they can play that way consistently throughout the rest of the year and um they they definitely look like a better more oiled machine than they did in the first five or six games yeah so the next player we're going to talk about um was actually technically on a team that Bo Horvat would have been on if it wasn't for the Corey Schneider for Bo Horvat trade we're talking about the New Jersey Devils right now uh, and Ty Smith, who's been very, very good. Um, I um, uh, He's had... Well, so they're playing right now, the New Jersey Devils. Again, we're recording this on a Sunday. So I do want to say that he he does have an assist in this game. So, uh, so even though, like, Hockey References, which is the site I'm looking on for all these stats, um, it says that he's, he has seven points in eight games. He also... He actually has... Eight points in uh, nine games right now, and it could continue to go on if if he has a point uh, for the rest of the time or something like that. So it's definitely a work in progress right now. So just keep that in mind. Um, so yeah, so he has eight points in uh, eight. Uh, sorry, eight points in nine games, um, and yeah, he's been. I remember when we talked about Ty Smith. Um, in our prospect thing, he was in a uh, 2018 draft pick, and uh, he went 17th overall. Um, and when we were talking about New Jersey, um, I, I kind of was a little bit skeptical of Ty Smith. I wasn't sure if he was going to be as good as we thought he would be, because it seemed like, just in general, no one was really talking about him. But I think definitely now, people are definitely paying attention to him. And this is the interesting thing about the Devils is that P.K. Subban hasn't been um, up to what he, he was expected to be. Uh, they did get Sammy Vatanen, but he hasn't. He's been okay um, since then. Um, you know, their defense has been the biggest reason why New Jersey hasn't been up to snuff um, in the last couple of years. And then when you add a guy like Ty Smith, all of a sudden, like the Devils might be a serious team going. Um, I, I tend to believe that this guy is for real. Um, because, cause this is like someone that they actually need and it's not, you know, and I think, um, they've developed him for that part and like, sure. He probably could have come in last year, but I think it just shows that how good, like they were willing to wait on him, even though they desperately needed a defenseman like like him in their system. So I I feel like they're gonna give him a ton of opportunities and stuff. I just because he's a defenseman, I don't think he's going to be like um, he's gonna have like one less point than he does have games. So eventually he'll have a game where he doesn't score many points or um, you know. But I think. For the most part, he's going to be pretty good um, just in general. So maybe like 
I could see like 40 points in this 56 game schedule, uh, something like that. Um, and I think that's that's been helpful. I am looking at his giveaways and takeaways, and I know it's still early, and I don't know if he has any giveaways or takeaways in this game, but uh, he has one takeaway and four giveaways so far in these eight games. Um, so, uh, so that is a little bit concerning, just looking at that part of it. But, um, but I think he, he's still pretty young. He's only twenty years old, so I think he still has room to improve, but I think he'll, he'll definitely be up there, um, eventually. And I think it is sustainable. Um, and I think eventually he'll probably get some Calder nomination votes. I don't know if he'll win yet. Cause I think that's, that's going to go to Kaprizov, but, um, I think still Ty Smith will definitely be one of the top three in the Calder. That's my prediction. Yeah, so interesting thing about Ty Smith because his uh, speaking of Calder Trophy is um, his start to the year kind of reminds me of what Kale McCarr did with the Az this year yeah. uh, or this past year. And um, at the time when Kale McCarr was starting out, it didn't seem like he was getting the top line minutes that you would normally see out of a top tier defenseman. But in the opportunities that he did get, he was racking up points. And to be fair, I think most blue liners at Kale McCarr's age when he was a rookie, Ty Smith's age today when he's a rookie, wouldn't get that type of top-line minutes out of the gate. And yet, um, again, he's taking the league by storm. Now, it was easier for Kale McCarr because he had guys like Nathan McKinnon, he had guys like Miko Rantanen, guys like Gabriel Landeskog, regularly putting up points and scoring big goals. The Devils, they have a lot of young talent with lots of potential. Jack Hughes, I was right about him. Yeah, Jack Hughes. Yeah, yeah, look at him. Look at him. Uh, Nikita Gusev, who's struggled. Nico Heischer, who's kind of broken due to injury. And Will Butcher had a great rookie season, but he's been kind of ass since then. But... The, the point I'm trying to make is the Devils aren't the Avs. Right, the Devils right. aren't the okay. Avs offensively. They have the potential, would, but like they're I not would, at the level offensively. We can agree on that. I yeah, yeah, I would argue that uh, Nico Heischer is a pretty good player, but he, he's healthy. Yeah. He's not broken. He's, he's, yeah. he's well, still he's pretty good Well, he's broken because he's hurt. Right, but like... That's what I meant. But it's not like... But like he's, he's injured, you could say that, yeah. not that he's... Yeah. And this team relies a lot on Mackenzie Blackwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike Colorado, True. where, you know, if you can get an average goaltending, that might be enough. Um, but, like, there's little room for error with this Devils team. So the fact that he's been able to do this, I think, is even more impressive. On top of that, he's not on the top pairing with P.K. Subban. He's on the second pairing with Damon Severson. And in his first eight games, excluding the one that's going on right now on Sunday afternoon... He has, over his first eight games, two goals, five assists, seven points, 14 shots. He's drawn a penalty, taken three. Uh, as you mentioned, one takeaway, four giveaway. But if I recall correctly, looking at the double stat line, they're a defenseman with worse uh, takeaway take giveaway ratio. So True. for a young rookie, that's still not bad. And if you look at his total ice time, 135 minutes and 22 seconds, he, he hasn't played... I don't think, if any, a single second shorthanded, but he has 15-26 play on the power play so far. He averages 16.55 per game, which for a defenseman is pretty low. And yet he's still, if it was a full 82-game season, he'd be averaging 72 points right now. 
And Jack Hughes has already taken notes with his strong play saying about Ty Smith, he's a player we've been missing. And it's imagine what this guy can do when he starts to average 20 minutes per night. Right. Imagine what he can do once he gets the top tier power play minutes. Imagine what he can do when he plays on the first pairing. In his first five games, he recorded a point. He had a five-game point streak going. I think that's something that Kale McCarr did. And you look at his time on ice throughout. Um, it, it, his highest was 1839. That was game four against the Islanders. And in game five the next night, I think he had 1148, which is, again, extremely low for a defenseman. And he puts up two assists and a shot on goal. So... Even though his ice time is pretty low, he's still finding ways to produce offensively. And in six of his first eight games, now we can confirm in seven of his first nine, Ty Smith will have a point. That's not a bad start to your NHL career. Yeah. So I think overall, he's a lock for at least 30 points, perhaps even 40 this year. You might start to see a little bit of a slowdown during the year because it's the Devils and uh, you're not expected to... Um, go on this type of a hot streak without getting some sort of a cool down in between there. But I definitely think he could be a 60 to 70 point defenseman within the next three to four years, at least. And he is the real deal. And he could definitely usurp PK Subban sooner than you think as the number one defenseman on this team. He definitely has the potential of doing that. And the devils have a lot to be excited about with this kid. So yeah, uh, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, um, like you said, Brad, Ty Smith could be getting a lot of Calder Trophy votes if this keeps up. Yeah, I, I also, like you mentioned, it is impressive that even though he's on the second uh, second pairing, he's yeah. still, like, contributing offensively. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I think eventually he's going to be that first pairing top power play guy. But, like, yeah, and, and so, like, he's this good without all that stuff like imagine how good he's going to be eventually like that and and i think you're right too like he's still young with the takeaway giveaway stuff so he may still have to work out defensively i'm not as worried about that just because like i feel like most defensemen are not good like in that department uh starting off so um it's just like a natural thing, so I, I would expect that to be better. And um, yeah, I think of the five players that we talked about, I think he has the highest potential just because he is so young. He's even younger than Nick Suzuki, so um, and he has more of the, you know, he could be the real deal in, in not just this year, but in next year and years to come, so... Um, yeah, yeah I'm, like I'm, you look at his WHL campaigns yep. in his second year, he had 59 assists in year three, he had 62 yeah. and he had like 40 last year, although his workload wasn't as big in terms of games played. So like th- this guy is already a dynamic player at such a young age and the sky's the limit for him as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, it's actually, it's funny. I'm actually watching the game right now and I see that Ty Smith just, uh, committed a penalty right now, so he's... no. So uh, that's at least four penalties taken now. Yeah. But again, a very young kid. He's he's still yeah. got a lot to learn. But, but and it was on a play that he there. was uh, being uh, out 
paced by uh, another uh, Buffalo Sabre there. So it's kind of funny. Um, it's just like, oh, we were just talking about Ty Smith. But um, yeah, so so some things need to work, and now it's a tie game because of Ty Smith. So um, in the opposite direction. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I forgot what I'm talking about now. But um, yeah, I think I'll... Even with all that said, I think eventually it's going to be um, good for, you know, I think I think Ty Smith will be a player in this NHL. And I would like to take back what I said in the prospect where I wasn't sure if he was going to be a good NHL player. And I'll take that back after seeing him play a bit. <laughs> um, I, I think he'll... He'll be decent. Um, it's just, you know, maybe he's not going to be this good for forever. As you were saying, like, it is the Devils and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, it's, um, like, I, I, li- I like this kid. And uh, he'll, he's going to get some Calder, Calder nominations for sure. Yeah, and you, you look at the competition that he's been going up against, like we talk about um, this division being arguably the strongest. Like in his first two games against Boston, he had a point in both games. He got a point against the Rangers, right. got um, points, uh, three points over two games against the Islanders, who are very well-structured defensive team. And you know, Buffalo has got a lot of uh, talented uh, forwards uh, in their own right. So to go neck and neck with them is no easy task as, as well. So uh, the fact that he's doing it against that competition at such a young age is even more impressive as well. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. And then lastly, we're going to talk about Kevin Lincoln. I don't have really a, as good of a segue here. <laughs> um, he, uh, I think for, for, before this season, we weren't really sure what Chicago was going to do with... Oh, I have a good segue, actually. Although, I don't know if this counts now, because I mentioned it. But, um, you know, the the Devils did trade or, or get uh, Corey Crawford from the Chicago Blackhawks. And people were wondering what yeah. was going on. And then, um, because the Chicago Blackhawks didn't really go out and get anyone... and. They kind of said that it was going to be a three-way race between Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia, and Kevin Lincoln. Um, and Kevin Lincoln was the only one of the three that hasn't played any NHL games. And so I was assuming that it would be between Colin Delia and um, and uh, and Malcolm Subban. And both of them weren't that good, but. Um, I took a look at him uh, the other day when they were playing CBJ, and I guess for some reason NHL has like has this weird schedule this week where they have like one game on Monday, then like fifteen games the next day, and then they had like two games on Wednesday, and then fifteen games on Thursday, and then one game on Friday, and then fifteen games on Saturday. It's just like crazy situation and and now there's a ton of games today too so um it's just like a weird way of going about it but anyways i was watching the chicago nashville game because it was the only game on like the only game on that was going on um and he had like a 40 he had 41 saves and 42 uh shot attempts Mm -hmm. um uh he's he lost that game but it was in a shootout, so that kind of, you know, he still gets a point there. Um, and he had 
So I, I guess he lost last night on Saturday uh, to uh, the uh, CBJ, the Columbus Blue Jackets. But before that, he had a point in all four of his games that he was playing in. Um, so he, and that was a and that was a two to one decision that game yeah. against Columbus, I believe. So like yeah, it was close sure. right up until the end. Yeah, and so overall, he's two one and two. Um, he has a save percentage of nine thirty, a two point one six GAA, um, and yeah, it seems like he's going to be the starter for the Chicago Blackhawks for for now. Um, he's twenty five years old, so he's still pretty young, um, and I think the I don't know. Just watching, I mean, I know it's only one game, but just watching him play that once one time, I feel like he's going to be. A pretty good goalie because um, like you know that takes a lot just to like save 40 shots um, even though like the Blackhawks are not a good team right now um, so so there's that but he is looking pretty good um, I don't think he's going to continue to be have a 930 save percentage and a 2.16 GAA because that seems absurd but um, I do think that he'll be, like, a pretty, like, decent player. So I think eventually he'll maybe be, like, a 9-15 or 9-20 type player. And, and that's pretty good for your first year in the league. Um, but, um, yeah, he's looking good so far. Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at um, the, the poor Chicago defense that currently doesn't have Adam Bjorkvist on it as well because of uh, COVID protocols, um, there there are a lot of parts to this Chicago blue line that looks all out of sorts, and they're just trying to find out what works and what doesn't work uh, as a, a rebuild team would normally do. Um and their biggest question, obviously, is who would get most of the starts between the pipes and would they be good enough to do the job? And the answer appears to be Kevin Lankin. And, and yes, I definitely think he can do the job. Um, if you look at his stat pack before this year, um, in 2016-17, he played in 42 games in the Finnish Liga League and he had a 2.14 GA and a 9.20 save percentage that only gives him a 13, 19, and 9 record, but he had seven shutouts. Seven of his 13 wins were shutouts, which is pretty interesting. And then you take a look at 2018-19, his debut season with the Rockford Ice Hogs, the AHL. He has a 2.50 GAA and a 9-10 save percentage in 19 games. Only a record in 7, 8, and 5, which kind of tells you the story of some of the teams he's played in front of. And then last year, while he has an 8, 10, and 3 record, a 3.03 GAA and a 909 save percentage. He is named an AHL All-Star. And that's when I was thinking, hmm, interesting. A guy with a GAA over three and a 909 save percentage is named an AHL All-Star. Um, Chicago's team in the AHL, their farm system in Rockford, and their current AHL squad, um, both of them have struggled to kind of win games lately. Um, but... Kevin Lankinen has proven that at the very least he is giving his team a chance to win. His debut was a bit rocky, only 25 saves on 30 shots. He's uh, saddled with an extra time loss in that game. And, um, and that five goals against uh, showing 
He's given up, let's see, a combined six goals against over his past four starts. 30 saves and 31 shots against Detroit. 25 saves and 27 shots. Another win for him against Detroit. So, I again, it's Detroit, but Detroit's not bad. Detroit's right. still a pretty good team, and he played well against them. That Nashville They're game is arguably his last, best yeah. by far, where they lose in the shootout, but he stops 41 of 42. He was dialed in that game. And then, again, the Columbus game where they lose 2-1, to one, 25 saves on 27 shots. He, he plays very well, gives his team a chance to win. He's had an over 900 save percentage in four of his five starts, and the one that he didn't was his debut. For a young kid that hasn't had any prior NHL experience, that's definitely a sign that he can become the goalie of the present, not just the future for this franchise. And this is a team that has drafted recently Drew Camesso, who has NHL potential right. as well. So the fact that they might have their answer and goal already is definitely promising news for the Blackhawks. Not for this year, but definitely going forward. Evan Lankinen can do the And I definitely think you're right, Brett. 930 percentage throughout the course of the regular season. I don't think that's realistic. 915, 920, I definitely think it's plausible, even on this depleted Hawks blue line that he has right. played from. Right, and also they don't have Kirby Dak or Jonathan Taze for the right. foreseeable yes. future. So that's that's another part of it, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that is a good point. Um, uh, so that about does it here. I do want to conclude, because I've seen this on my chat and Twitter stuff, um, that according to Steven Wino, who I think is like, he's an NHL reporter. I forget where, what, um, who he writes for. I think for Associated Press. Okay. If I remember correctly, he's an Associated Press guy. I could so, be wrong. So he was, uh, so t- David Quinn asked, was asked on a waving Tony D'Angelo. Um, and he says, uh, things happen in pro sports and that was a decision the organization made. It's part of the business. It's a decision we made. We'll see how it plays out. And then he he was asked if it was performance related, and he says, "I don't want to get into specifics." And then apparently, there was an incident last night um, that uh, Quinn says um, between D'Angelo, um, and he says that there's always rumors. I'm not going to address rumors. This isn't about one incident. It's not about one thing. Um, so I don't know what that incident is that they're referring to, but, um, apparently there's, maybe there was some, there's more to this story than, than we know, I would imagine. And it's also like, I guess that kind of confirms that it's not just the on ice stuff that they're, that was why they, uh, did it. So it kind of confirms that part of the story. Um, I kind of fe- I kind of feel this fits the definition of a vague statement. Yeah, and there's definitely more going on, like you said, Brett, behind the scenes. That yeah. um, if it's meant to be out there in the public eye, it'll find out if it'll find its way on there eventually, yeah. like maybe a burner account. I don't know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that that's definitely a strange uh, situation. And it, if it's definitely big enough, um, it could be our topic for next week. We'll see. Yeah. I was, I was about to say, uh, I imagine if there is more that comes out, we'll, we'll probably talk about it in, uh, next week. So, um, so there's something to look forward to for sure. Um, mm-hmm. all right. That about does it for us here at, uh, lace em up. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um, 
our Twitter is Laced Up Podcast, where you can be updated on on the Tony D'Angelo situation um, and everything else that uh, that's happening in the NHL. Um, we're also uh, on Facebook at Lace Them Up, although we don't post that often, so just being honest there. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 255 of the Lace Them Up podcast.